0: Hey everyone, you're listening to The Plunge, your weekly recap of all things shitty in politics and pop culture. We'll kick off the show with an urgent plea. Alec Baldwin needs you to save America by texting. He's released a video with lots of unusual head movements and dramatic theme music to defend special counsel Robert Mueller from being fired by the Cheeto-in-Chief. His fellow liberal blowhard Bill Clinton published a god-awful op-ed in the New York Times, and we'll pick it apart, then you'll have to decide who does the best Bill Clinton impression. Trump's been having a busy week, tweeting nonsense about CNN, whistling about Israel-Palestine through his ill-fitting dentures, and ostensibly agreeing to be physically examined for the public record. Until we get the deets on the machinations of Trump's internal organs, we'll discuss the maladies of some of our previous presidents, how much we can actually know about them, and more importantly, how politically useful any of this health information is. We've also had an eventful week in non-Trump political news. Unfortunately for our anarchist listeners, the government shutdown has been averted temporarily. We'll reminisce about the shutdown of 2013 and share more portraits of life under our Republican national nightmare. Political cartoons had a field day sneering at poor Trump voters, even as a significant portion of the urban coastal elite roast in Los Angeles. And the war to defend Christmas continued at the federal level as Senate Democrats found themselves uninvited to the White House Hanukkah party, an ungodly event that no Jews should be subjected to. In the pop culture corner, Dan and I are talking about the worst Christmas movies, from the corny to the CGI. And for this week's story time, Dan will tell you about hard times and fast living, as a rambunctious high schooler out of Medieval Times in Maryland. It's a great show, and 9 out of 10 doctors agree that the weekly plunge is what you need to identify the clogs in politics and pop culture.
1: that time of the week again it's time to plunge i'm dan spaventa at spaventacular on twitter and i have as i think we all have had a shitty week that uh, we're gonna plunge out right now with my good friend sam wagstaff That's right.
2: Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at W-A-G-S-T-A-N-K.
1: Sam, what would you say were some of the finer highlights of this horrendous week in politics and pop culture? It was bleak out there.
2: It was, um, but there's a glimmer and hope in, um, I guess, the events of Donald Trump, The past week, it seems like we may lose him sooner than we were expecting. Uh, You were the one who showed me this amazing Donald Trump tweet, which I'm going to read right now. CNN's slogan is CNN, the most trusted name in news. Everyone knows this is not true, that this could, in fact be a fraud on the American public. Ooh! There are many outlets that are far more trusted than fake news CNN. Their slogan should be CNN, the least trusted name in news.
1: Mr. President, thank you for speaking out on the fraudulent
3: CNN. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this sounds like um, a legal argument written by like a, a three-year-old. Like, Therefore, CNN is actually the least trusted name in news because they are not trusted at all.
1: He is the boss baby. Why does Trump feel the (laughs) need? Speaking of boss baby. But before we get to the the real boss baby, I just want to talk about this tweet for a second because Trump the TV critic is, I think, one of the finer parts of his presidency that I think will achieve a lot of monuments in the future. Yeah. No, I was going to say do you think um Trump would
2: have been like a more benign figure if instead of like following his, you know, clan ass daddy into the shitty world of real estate, like instead of doing that, he just became a TV critic. I mean, he's from the right background for to be a TV critic. Like he's an extremely privileged, grew up in the area. He's got a lot of opinions. I mean, we could have had like a very healthy Donald J Trump, the movie critic or TV critic. Instead, we have
1: president, Donald Trump, which is an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, he could have been a nice foil to the liberalism of Roger Ebert. (laughs) He could be, like, Armand White. You remember that guy, the
2: one TV critic who didn't like Get Out? Yes. um, (laughs) Or he's a movie critic, not a TV critic.
1: Well... We're happy that the events of the last week, which included actually this weird uh, retraction from CNN of a story related to Russia, which, if you've been following Glenn Greenwald's Twitter feed in the last day, he's been covering this pretty well. Yeah, he's been going
2: off about that.
1: You know, it just throws fuel to these, like, idiots who think Trump's tweets about CNN's slogan, you know, are legitimate.
2: I mean, yeah, CNN is pretty indefensible, so it makes it easier for another indefensible person, um, in this case Donald Trump, to just, like, savage them and have people like us basically agree with him, for, if not for the right reasons, like, at least in the letter of the tweet. Like, I don't agree. I, I don't trust CNN, If that's so in that way, I am almost in agreement with Donald Trump.
1: However, I... We'll make the distinction that, like, it's not fake in that sense. Yeah, (laughs) it's not any more fake than any other news station. There's, like, levels to this, like, it's a flawed news organization, but it is a news organization.
2: You're not saying it's, like, a global conspiracy controlled by the Jews?
1: Yeah, by, like, the globalist cuck Jeff Zucker, like, just planning to...
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's planning to enslave you to the liberal feminazis. <laughs> All right. Let's talk
1: about the boss baby himself.
2: Alec fucking Baldwin. Okay, so I saw this article in Mike.com. Call, it's called Alec Baldwin is calling on you to stop Trump from firing Mueller.
4: <laughs> so- After Trump fired Comey, Mueller was appointed to oversee the investigation and it's gaining steam. In addition to Flynn, three other Trump campaign officials have been charged so far. As the investigation gets closer to Trump and his family, he may try again to interfere and obstruct justice. Just like he fired FBI Director Comey, now he could fire Special Counsel Robert Mueller or pardon his aides or his family. We can't let this happen. Congress is our last line of defense. That's where you come in. We need you to call your member of Congress today and ask them to go on record stating if Trump interferes with Mueller's investigation they would vote to impeach Trump there's no time to waste congress needs to hear from you today
2: um because the we are in such trying times and it's so dangerous out there that celebrities like Alec Baldwin have to emerge from their homes not to call random people on the street you know homophobic slurs but instead to motivate all of us to uh, take aim at Donald Trump for his decision to fire uh, FBI Director James Comey. Um, The crux of this video is that you should contact your member of Congress by texting ACT to 21333. So you're going to save Robert Mueller from being fired by texting like Congress is the crux of this video.
1: (laughs) In the last week, News broke that ABC is turning his public radio podcast into a TV show, where at the same time, Baldwin has been making some statements (laughs) about uh, John Oliver and other comedians uh, pressing others about sexual assault and harassment. And Baldwin's just uh, pretty... Lame figure to embrace as uh, some sort of like brave heart savior.
2: Yeah, well, it's very telling that the only political figure he's going after is Donald Trump, who is like the only blowhard, more who's more of like a masculine asshole than Alec Baldwin in pop culture.
1: Yeah, people at one point were speculating before the election. Well, if the Democrats had their version of Trump who was running against, let's say, a Mitt Romney type, would you, would a Democrat or, like, a liberal vote for Romney? Like, I don't know. Do you think that Baldwin is that person? Is he the Donald Trump of the Democrats? You,
2: you think he's, like, a Reagan Democrat? <laughs> no. Like, uh...
1: It's more, like, is he the left's Trump, essentially?
2: Um... It's possible. I mean, yeah, I think that the left is looking for like some kind of pop culture response to Trump. Um, and I mean, you see it in like all those like you know god awful op eds in the uh, New York Times. Like like there was one by Mark Penn this, early this summer. But they're you know the ones that tell the Democrats and the left as a at, at large to say. Uh, or to embrace, like, more right-wing politics, to, like, abandon identity politics, to uh, abandon, like, single-payer healthcare and shit. Because, like, for some reason, people think that that's why the Democrats lost in 2016. That they, in order to, you know, beat the Republicans, they have to become
1: Republicans. It's extremely foul. In this search for an answer to Trump, who was the closest that they have found as a comedic foil? Franken? How'd that turn out?
2: quitting like a
1: total bitch (laughs) i mean honestly quitting was the the preferred option of this podcast which we endorsed a few weeks ago i think we were ahead of the curve on that
2: well i'm also ahead of the curve because i want like all of congress to quit but that's just me i guess
1: so sam why don't we hear some of alec baldwin's let's say not so polite statements about (laughs) the current state of comedians pushing people accused of sexual harassment in public
2: yeah so uh i think he most specifically was pissed off at like john oliver who got into that um kind of argument with dustin hoffman about the relevance of his past like sexual misconduct um that was pretty badass that john oliver was willing to like Just you know, speak as frankly as he did to Dustin Hoffman, who is really like a titan of Hollywood. And I mean, John Oliver is popular, but still, I mean, going after someone who's like an icon like that takes a little bit of balls. And honestly,
1: since then, another woman who felt empowered came forward with her own story about abuse from Hoffman. Since then, so I think if people get grilled about this stuff publicly. Maybe they'll actually get called on their shit. So if Hoffman has a history of this, then I don't see why, like, you gotta sit here and defend him. Like, you know, people like Michael Rappaport, like, trash-talking. <laughs> yeah, people
2: are all just like uh, losing their minds cuz they liked the 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 movie The Graduate and shit. But um either way, Alec Baldwin weighed in on this. Um he said talk shows were once promotional pit stops for some blithe chit-chat about movies, etc. Now, the likes of Oliver and Colbert have flipped that and they are beginning to resemble grand juries. Bitch, what the fuck are you f- talking about?
1: <laughs> I think that people using large platforms to, I don't know, impart some sort of conversation about these important issues is uh, probably a good thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> He's just mad because, I mean, we know that Baldwin... We can just tell from his demeanor and his attitude that he is a groper, and he's gonna. Next thing he knows, he shows up on one of these late night shows, and like John Oliver or Stephen Colbert are gonna be like grilling him about why he's like a greasy toucher and you know also a homophobe and just general asshole. So he's it's the same thing as uh, I think we talked about the the Woody Allen quote where he's like, "I don't want a witch hunt in here," and we were like, "Yeah, because you're the witch they're hunting." (laughs) That's what we have here.
1: So, I think we've done enough Baldwin content for one episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, fuck Baldwin. Uh, you want to move on to another um, Democratic blowhard? That being Bill Clinton. What a
1: fucking awful op-ed you sent me, Sam. Written by yep. the president, the sexy sax man himself, Bill Clinton.
4: Oh, 25 years ago, when I was elected president, I said that every American should follow our constitutional framers' command to form a more perfect union, to constantly expand the definition of us and shrink the (laughs) definition of them. I still believe that, because I do. I favor policies and policies that promote cooperation over conflict, and build an economy, a society, and a politics of addition, not subtraction, multiplication, not division. Unfortunately, too many people in power across the world seem determined to do the reverse. If we do that here, we will miss this moment to build our brightest days. Therefore, our most important challenge is deciding who we Americans really are as citizens, communities, and a nation i am bet oh all my else God. That was fucking tough.
2: I mean, so soon as you heard um, what he said, he said, too many people in power across the world seem determined to do the reverse. That <sighs> is the thing that people are pulling out to be like, he burned Donald Trump. I'm like, fucking, he didn't even mention his name. He said it was people, not a person. He there's no... You have to be looking for the takedown of Donald Trump in this op-ed to find it in that fucking line.
1: And his vague language in the article, like, in this other paragraph, like, I'm just going to read some of this because it's just such, like, bullshit, liberal, vague, like, things that sound kind of nice, but it just is so fucking meaningless.
2: Do you want me to read it in the Bill Clinton
1: voice? I want to try in the Bill Clinton voice. (laughs) Okay.
3: (laughs) But as a nation... We're on a very different path. All too often, tribalism based on race, religion, sexual identity, and place of birth has replaced inclusive nationalism (laughs) in which you can be proud of your tribe and still embrace a larger American community. And too often, resentment conquers aging. Anger blinds us to answers and sanctimony passes for authenticity. These trends are fueled by our Snapchat, Twitter, and Facebook (laughs) worlds, in which the attention span for issues on television news is only a few seconds. (laughs) And the very survival of newspapers depends upon retweets of headlines from their online editions.
4: Oh, Oh, these kids... Oh, they retweets. Oh, I can't think anymore. What happened to paper? <laughs> Such a fucking old man
1: on the porch. Jesus Christ. I know. It's so absurd. I know that voice kind of devolved into just like a dying Southern grandfather. Yeah, you're a little more like
2: Jimmy Carter than Bill Clinton, but I think you got the right idea. Just old ass fucking Southern white man spewing nonsense. Uh, I, that that one quote the like, um, you know, all too often tribalism, based on race, religion, and sexual identity has replaced inclusive national... So, like, <laughs> it's way better to be, like, a nationalist, like, I don't know, nuking Japan or, like, genociding the Native Americans than it is for you to appreciate as, I don't know, for, like, us to appreciate as Jewish people that we are, like, <laughs> our experience in this country has been, like, you know, uneven at, th- at times. Like, that's worse. What, our sense of self, of our, de- our identity is more dangerous than, like, just insane American, like, jingoism.
1: <laughs> yeah, this reminded me a lot of our good friend of the show, John Stewart, and his <sighs> statement uh, at the Rally to Restore Sanity about how everyone's all the same, and if we amplify everything, we hear nothing. Everything you see on those computer screens and those phones is just there to divide us.
2: Man, like, all these libs who argue that, like, uh, capitalism is gonna save us and shit always revert to using the most communist language possible. Like,
4: we're all united in the one goal of establishing American supremacy.
1: (laughs) You sound Stalinist as fuck. What's up next, Sam? I think we've covered Billy Boy as much as we should right now. (laughs) Well, I think we should pivot
2: to some more serious issues going on in the White House. Uh, specifically, Dan, um, something has come up is Donald Trump's bizarre, like, slurred speech and lisp that he did while he was talking about,
1: uh, like, Jerusalem. Yeah, we'll drop in some audio right now. This is Trump talking about Jerusalem and... Now, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said it was dry mouth, but, uh, why don't (laughs) you be the judge of that?
3: Let us rethink old assumptions and open our hearts and minds to possible and possibilities. And finally, I ask the leaders of the region, political and religious, Israeli and Palestinian, Jewish and Christian and Muslim, to join us in the noble quest for lasting peace. Thank you. God bless you. God bless Israel. God bless the Palestinians. And God bless the United States. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: So Sam, what did you think of that? I, I heard it the other day and I was laughing my fucking ass off.
2: Yeah, I saw it for the first time last night, um, <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> I, 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 don't know what to say. It sounds like he, he, one of his, maybe one of his teeth fell out. Like his dentures aren't sitting right. Like there's
1: whistle through the teeth. Did he have peanut butter and jelly served to him by like Mike Pence? You think his tongue was stuck
2: to the roof of his mouth? Actually, if you watch the video of this, um, Mike Pence is
1: giving him a look of, like, motherfucker. Like, what are you doing? What is going on with you? I mean, he occasionally will break into that look, aside from his usual just glowing, like, that's my boy look.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, his face is like the... This is a problematic joke. We might decide to edit this out. But it's the face of a man who thinks that it's okay to, like, electrocute gay people. Like, his the soul has drained from his entire, you know, upper body,
1: basically. So there have been a few stories. We'll link one from AOL that talks about President Trump will undergo the traditional physical examination at Walter Reed National Medical Center in early 2018 and make public the results of that checkup. Sarah Huckabee Sanders dismissed what she called ridiculous questions about Trump's health after he seemed to slur some words in a speech earlier. There were a lot of questions on that. Frankly, pretty ridiculous questions. The president's throat was dry. Nothing more than that. The comments came after speculation fueled by Trump's speech patterns near the end of Wednesday's speech in which he formally recognized Jerusalem. As Israel's capital, which we'll have an episode about at some point, but we don't want to dive into that right now.
4: Is that what you're talking about, Dan? Political and religious. Yes, that's
1: what I'm talking about. (laughs) Sam, what is your opinion about Trump's medical state? Well, I don't think that it's, like, up for
2: debate. Uh, I think we all know that Donald Trump is, like, steps from death (laughs) just based on his own eating habits. Um, Corey
1: Lewandowski's book apparently indicates that Trump enjoyed, like... Of like, two quarter pounders, and it was- and died Two filet of
2: fish. Two, two filet of fish. How sick of a human being- How sick of a human being do you have to be to order fucking fried fish from McDonald's? I don't even order, like, a burger from McDonald's. You're getting fish? Seafood?
1: He's like a big show pig that they, like, hauled out to these rallies, and then afterwards <laughs> they just, like- Poor slop into his trough and he just like stuffs it into his mouth.
2: He looks like the turkey that he parted on Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, it's really strange to think that our president may have some sort of mental deficiency but as this article that we also link to in the show notes from the atlantic points out this isn't really a new phenomenon for presidents to have sort of hidden medical maladies right sam
2: yeah no actually like i was surprised that this article was in the atlantic which is traditionally one of my uh pet peeve magazines but either way um it points out that like everyone even in the 20th century you had like fdr who you know couldn't really walk on account of his polio uh that he suffered as a child people just didn't know that we all know that in retrospect but at at the time i guess maybe the technology also wasn't where it's at today where you can have you know a billion pictures of your president at any you know junction in time but um it, it, it was just kind of ridiculous. Uh, I, I, the other example I think of is JFK, who was, like, on a cocktail of, like, antidepressants. And, you know, not that that's, like – not that you, people who are using antidepressants can't, like, make sound decisions. But um, he also had this wild, like, sex addiction, um, which, like – at many times, like, kind of endangered his uh, his presidency, I think. He, he had, like, mob malls and shit, like, up in the White House because he couldn't control it. Um, and traditionally, people who write biographies of him don't really focus on this stuff, or they act like it was, like, a minor um, part of his life when it seems like it was, like, a large part of his time was devoted to, like, his sex addiction. And, uh, yeah, but I, I guess this article makes a good point which is that you don't really get to know for sure um, like tr- like the president's medical condition because it's a very politically sensitive sort of subject material.
1: There were many questions about Hillary Clinton's health leading into the election that Donald Trump himself fueled uh, some <laughs> infowars conspiracy theories why don't we drop in a little clip of that just for fun yeah we all love to hear some Alex Jones
3: <laughs> We've seen MSNBC CNN demonizes. Uh, for even daring to raise this, but we're not the ones raising it. She was in the hospital for almost a year in 2013, 2012. She admittedly had all these blood clots. She's falling down. She's stumbling. She's acting like she's having these mini seizures. And then uh, basically a lot of other things are happening. But we have info on the preparations that have been made for her, what's going on, and the fact that the Secret Service told you and told us, get ready. Uh, they're going to have to make some announcements soon. So, Joe, let's be very careful. Let's walk word through word uh, exactly what you were told. So, yes, from the source that I was contacted by in the Secret Service,
2: this gentleman came out and said that they know that Hillary Clinton has Parkinson's disease. Now, think about that. That makes a lot of sense, the fact that she's had multiple concussions. We've seen the seizure-like uh, symptoms from her where she starts uncontrollably twitching and that could lead her to fall, which could give her those concussions, which has also led to the blood clots and so forth and so on. So it makes a lot of sense to see how this is starting to unfold.
1: So aside from those examples, you had Grover Cleveland, who hid a surgery for jaw cancer, going so far as to have the operation done on a boat in New York Harbor, huh, and yep. then you had Woodrow Wilson having a debilitating stroke in 1919 and the public was not informed to that in any way. But of course the media was not the media we have today.
2: Yeah. Also Woodrow Wilson had extreme, like fucking (laughs) crazy racism syndrome. But (laughs) Um, Either way. uh, Yeah. I think that the cult of personality in the United States um, around the president kind of protects presidents um, from, People finding out very specifically their mental condition i mean even as recently as reagan we don't necessarily know um like how much he was suffering from alzheimer's at that point or like how senile he was um it seems like he was suffering it from it but i mean we're never i mean trump seems like that too you know like they're just we're gonna get donald trump to go for a physical, and his, like, fucking preposterous doctor from the campaign trail with, like, the ponytail and shit is going to come out and be like, Donald Trump is a gladiator, he can bench 405 pounds, like, (laughs) you know? We're not going to get, like, a real answer on his, like, uh, physical condition, let alone his, like, insane mental state.
1: But I want to read a little passage from that article. Even if the president's doctor told him he was suffering from a condition that might impair his functioning in office, like the early stages of dementia, it's unclear what would happen next. The White House doctor would probably tell an aide or advisor about Trump's diagnosis, but he also might not. If such a diagnosis were publicly disclosed, the 25th Amendment leaves it to the cabinet and Vice President Pence to decide whether Trump is unfit to serve. The cabinet could opt to do nothing. If the cabinet determines that he's incapacitated, Trump could contest its finding. If Congress fails to approve the cabinet's decision, it would put the president back in power. A Fordham Law School clinic recently recommended adding a full-time psychologist to the White House medical unit, the medical personnel who already served the president. But, the article notes, presidents and their staff would probably resist the move since it would invite rumors that the president needs psychological help.
2: Having said that, this is the fucking Trump White House, and people have been leaking like crazy. I mean, everyone who's working in the White House right now has to have an appreciation of the fact that they're there primarily to witness like this American catastrophe go down and... Also, I think to report on it a little bit, I think that a lot of people went in. I'll, I mean, when they first when Trump first won, I think a shitload of people quit jobs um, and then people saw an opportunity. I remember seeing a lot on like, you know, message boards for government jobs about um, like how it was a good time to apply uh, because there were so many vacancies and they still haven't filled a lot of those vacancies. Um which I think is something else, else that's come out a lot about the Trump administration is, like, how many, like, high-profile and low lower-level jobs have remained unfilled even to this point where he's been, you know, in office for almost a year. So I think we might get a little more information out of um, the Trump White House than if maybe, like, Bill Clinton had been, like, physically or mentally sick. I mean, we do know he was, like, philandering at the time, and that kind of took him some time to come out. Uh, so... I don't know. I think that the Trump White House might be a little leakier, but it's still hard to get like very reliable information on this sort of stuff.
1: But they definitely are lacking loyalty to each other in the White House right now. I have heard many reports that everyone's paranoid that everyone they're talking to is wearing a wire. Trump (laughs) blurted out the other day, this was reported um, on Twitter by Jeremy Scahill that it's <laughs> just so funny trump apparently blurted out the other day that thousands of people are under surveillance by the united states which like obviously we knew but it's just funny that trump felt the need yeah. to just like go and you know say what that. that's,
2: that's the truth i mean i'm okay with that kind of transparency It's it's the other shit that's problematic to me about trump <laughs>
1: oh man the end of this article uh, in the Atlantic is pretty bleak though it says so even if he had Alzheimer's we might never know I asked McDermott we'd probably know she said after he dies <laughs> yep I mean I think they I think that hits it on the head so what's next but... we have the government shutdown averted yeah
2: woohoo so it's like a snow day um but more people suffer from it <laughs> Um so I guess uh this isn't the first time that we've been threatened with government shutdown. I mean in 2013 the government did actually shut down over budget disputes. I was in Havana at that time and it was all over like the state newspaper just like Americans are fucking their shit up and you should be considered yourself lucky that you live in this socialist utopia. <laughs> but um either way it seems like uh Congress On Thursday, was able to avert the impending government shutdown. um, This, which would have happened this weekend, the battle lines are pretty clearly drawn um, on this budget dispute. Um, Democrats want more protections for uh, Dreamers um, and Obamacare. Republicans want increased spending on the Pentagon and border security, and you know fucking death cults or whatever else they're into. Uh, and they're also trying to uh, take the um, the emphasis on emigration, like um, the emphasis on dreamers and DACA status um, out of consideration in this budget bill, which is pretty heinous and underhanded. Um, but they've got until December 23rd to come up with a shitty budget that's going to fuck all of us um, and act like it's a victory that they were able to keep the government open for another few days.
1: Yeah. And I have nothing too much to add to that.
2: It's just wild that this It's like someone, I think mentioned that uh, it's you feel like you're in a hostage situation when, um every few months, either like the government's gonna shut down or you have to frantically call, you know, senators to like urge them not to take away people's health care or, you know, Fucking just redistribute like a trillion dollars upwards or whatever else they're into for the week, whatever other like catastrophic thing that they're gonna do because they have no real opposition, thanks to you know the Democrats.
0: yeah
3: I
2: definitely see the Democrats pulling, uh, like caving on a lot of the immigration related stuff that they're pushing for. Um, they'll they might be able to secure some nominal protections for like streamers and people in daca status because they can say like these guys are you know good capitalists and uh they're you know working hard to in the construction industry and shit and like we need that uh which is a lot of like the heinous stuff you see out of like the you know economic bodies and the uh federal government whenever they're arguing about immigration but uh i definitely see them selling out like immigration benefits for some nominal protections um and then just a shitload of spending going to the pentagon and going and increase border security either way that's my rant on this current this on that
1: bullshit yeah we've seen before democrats certainly uh willing to strip out uh, whatever assemblage of decent legislation they've made to compromise and uh hey uh let's let's do it again fellas
2: <laughs> oh but uh, don't forget that al franken didn't deserve to lose his job <laughs>
1: The amount of feminists that tweeted about that, I mean, I kind of scanned, like, some hashtags about, like, Al Franken resigning, and man, it's creepy how many, like, Hillary girls and Hillary dudes were talking about Franken resigning as such bullshit when <laughs> Trump and Roy, yeah. Roy Moore exist, but I think we can, uh, well, I think we can be adults about it and separate fucking three different things
2: Yeah, I think uh, T tweeted that, like, the answer to, like, the idea that, like, oh, Al Franken deserves to keep his job, but, like, Roy Moore doesn't, um, the answer to that is that, like, it's not that, like, Al Franken deserves to lose his job more than Roy Moore does, that's a pointless argument, like, Roy Mo- I'm sorry, uh, Al Franken shouldn't have done what he did. That's what the argument should be that's it's it's not about like how they get punished. It's about what what happened and what they did, which is, it's it's fucked up how people have like gotten off of that and been like for political reasons, like we need Al Franken. He's the savior. He's the democratic messiah we need. You
1: threw in the poshitical cartoons,
2: <laughs> yeah, this is from Poshitico uh. The magazine in red that reports on all politics from the most consensus minded, annoying point of view possible. But uh, the so these political cartoons, the ones that I really liked um, were the ones that. OK, so because the tax bill passed um, recently uh, and that's a massive redistribution of wealth, like over one point four trillion dollars just to the to the most wealthy segments of society, the most uh, capital rich segments of society and um all the a lot of these cartoons joke about how the tax bill is not going to benefit the people who voted for trump who they perceive as just like you know complete fucking hillbillies and rednecks um so the first one it's like a guy in a suit um and he's wearing a pin that says gop and he says how did you like that tax reform i voted for he's talking to like uh, a, a hillbilly Like a stereotypical hillbilly Wearing like a flannel And like suspenders And a red like Hunting hat Um
1: And His mailbag The Republican says the, guy, magas. the Republican guy Looks like A 300 pound Ted Cruz With a bird's nest On his head
2: Yeah It's terrible Um And the The redneck guy Is saying It really helped With my Learjet Deductibility And my hedge fund <laughs> Just why is this the this is why like the left can will never fucking get um like average working class people it was like they're just portrayed as these like complete troglodytes and stereotypes like ha these fucking hicks think that they're rich they don't know what politics is let them suffer
1: (laughs) there were more of them all right what other ones we got here
2: so this one's from uh, Jeff Danziger. Uh, he's in the Washington Post writers group and cartoonist group. And uh, it's three people on a porch, and they're once again like stereotypically like rural, shall we say. Um, the guy on the left is saying, "Good thing we voted for Trump. See how the stock market is higher than ever." The guy in the middle says, "Stocks are going through the roof." And then the people on the right, and the woman on the right, who's like lying on a decrepit couch on the fucking porch, is saying like, "How many stocks we got, pa?" Like. <laughs> This is the most heinous fucking thing. I I don't understand. Like, just because they live in, like, a rural existence, how does that mean that they they don't have investments? Like, the people who voted for Trump were definitely people who, like, were in these, like, more rural or, like, suburban communities, but had enough money to the point that, like, Republican shit benefits them. And also, rich people are the only people who actually fucking vote because poor people have to work on Tuesdays. Like... I don't understand this narrative of, like, like the untold, like, unwashed hicks came out of nowhere to vote for Trump, and now Trump's screwing all of them by, like, you know, passing this, like, aggressive fiscal policy. It's like, and I don't understand how this is supposed to convince anyone who didn't already have this image of, like, the Trump voter. This is just confirmation bias. It's not, like, any argument. It's It's so sad.
1: Yeah, it's an expression of nothing but utter contempt. So... Great. So what, we hate everyone who lives in not you New York, San Francisco, or L.A.? Like, come on.
2: On another note, there was something pretty fucked up uh, in these cartoons. So this cartoon comes to us from Michael Ramirez from Creators. Um and it's the most horrifying stereotypical image of a suicide bomber wearing a shirt that says "Death to Israel." And oh, what God he's saying, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, undermines the peace process. And that's he's supposed to be covered in blood. It's 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 supposed to be ironic. It's supposed to be saying that people who oppose like the right wing in Israel are terrorists who want to destroy the entire country. Fuck that. Um, and that they are, like, somehow responsible for, like, the turmoil that we've seen. And it's just so, like, I, this is a heinous one. Like, this is not one we're, like, laughing no, about. No, this is, like, it's propaganda.
1: Fucking, this is fucking it's ridiculous. Sickening. It's sickening. This reminds me of when you were a kid and they were like, you know, they show uh, children uh, in Iraq, uh, Mickey Mouse saying death to Americans yeah it's just stereotype driven like how is how is that different even if that was real or not how is that different from this fucking bullshit to like like fat plutocratic liberals
2: yeah i mean they're just fucking dehumanizing these people i mean it's it's way more complex than this like disgusting image so let's i don't want to like dwell on this too much but fuck this cartoon fuck michael ramirez whoever you are and fuck like whoever published this um Sorry to everybody for having this on the podcast. <laughs> All right, let's move on.
1: Man, things are really fucking roasting out in California. It is crazy. We attached in the show notes a picture of the California <laughs> wildfires, and man, it's freaky.
2: It's the inferno. It's like it's it's biblical. Like this is the this is the this is the end times that we're in. These are the end times.
1: But we're happy to confirm on this podcast, <laughs> based on numerous reports, that Rupert Murdoch's uh, Southern California mansion. Went down in flames, Rupert Murdoch, the head honcho of the fox.
2: The Aussie asshole.
1: Good riddance, motherfucker. Yeah.
2: Either way, this photo is just so disturbing. It's crazy to, like, extreme, uh, like, ecological uh, catastrophes that we are, like, staring down the gun barrel of. Um, it's just cars on, like, a highway, and just they're driving past mountains that are entirely engulfed in flames. Uh, I'm a little terrified I'm going out there To see some family I hope my family out there Is okay And they haven't been like Roasted alive In this fucking inferno But um Yeah Hopefully we can figure out All these
1: uh, These catastrophes We're looking at Speaking of catastrophes Let's talk about The White House Hanukkah party The White House Hanukkah party You know Sam I feel like one of our beats Has been like Parties at the White House
2: yeah, it's it's good stuff, uh, especially because uh, like we have like entertainers in the White House. The, Trump is primarily an entertainer. He's not a real politician, as we've seen.
1: So I found an article on Splinter News that is quick and summarizes just all of the atrocities. So you mind if I just spit it, spit the whole thing out? Spit it for us, Dad. It's by Rafi Schwartz, and the title is "The White House Hanukkah Party Sounds Like a Nightmare." <laughs> Donald Trump threw his first Hanukkah party as president on Thursday night, and by all accounts, it sounds like a pretty shitty affair. For starters, exactly zero Democratic Congress people were invited to the event, despite the fact that 28 of the 30 Jewish House members are Democrats. Also not invited, representatives from Jewish groups who happen to disagree with Trump.
2: Yeah, Repo- shout out, shout out to the fact that fucking only two congressmen out of like five hundred and thirty-five are Republican Jews.
1: <laughs> Jewish Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin <laughs> and David Kusto- Kustoff were, how- were however in attendance hobnobbing with a who's who of far-right Jews, including Zionist Organization of America President Mort Klein, (laughs) (laughs) who once proudly proclaimed President Obama a, quote, Jew-hating anti-Semite. That's like
2: the standard line of, like, that far-right Jewish... Group. Like, this like, the you know, the Alan Dershowitz uh, line
1: of, like, <laughs> right-wing Jewish thought. One White House official dismissed charges of partisanship, telling the New York Times with a straight face, I am not aware of the political affiliation of any of the guests, but I do know that this year was meant to be more personal than political. But upon oh, entering the party, President Trump tooted his own horn about disastrous uninformed decision to unilaterally recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. I know for a fact, there are a lot of people happy in this room, Trump declared, adding, Jerusalem. (laughs) (laughs) Trump then brought out his grandchildren, both Jewish, to light a small menorah in front of the assembled crowd. According to participants, this may have been the only actual Hanukkah decoration at the entire party. There were, however, four large Christmas trees (laughs) positioned around the room.
2: (laughs) See, this is, he was actually holding all these Jews hostage. (laughs) This is the next stage in a crucial battle in the war on Christmas.
1: After the official White House event concluded, revelers moved to the Trump International Hotel for a second reception sponsored by the Sheldon Ah. Adelson-funded Republican-Jewish Coalition. There, the Times reported other boldface names in the Trump orbit, including David A. Clark Jr., a former sheriff of Milwaukee County, and Jill Kelly, the Tampa socialite, mingled near the bar. Several guests clutched copies of the book Let Trump Be Trump by Corey Lewandowski, (laughs) the president's (laughs) first campaign manager, which he had been signing earlier in the lobby. So to recap... Terrible guests, an emphasis on Christmas decorations, awful books. President Trump likes to insist there's a war on Christmas happening across the United States, but from the sound of things, Hanukkah's not doing so hot this year either.
2: Yeah, I I would be okay with the White House just not celebrating
1: Hanukkah. Like, I
2: don't need that kind of representation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's just be honest about their thoughts on Jews in this country. How cancerous is it, Dan, the
2: fact that, um... Like, think of all these, like, Maga-chuds. The only Jews they, like, know, maybe, are, like, the Kushners. Or, like, Ivanka. (laughs) I think, like, Ivanka is, like, the archetype for their, like, Jewish woman.
1: (laughs) And they, like, think that Jared is a disgusting, like... Polluter of Ivanka's like Aryan beauty, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember that white supremacist?
2: We have to look at this in the show notes. The, the white supremacist at like Charlottesville, or but it, there's this video of this dude fucking going like Donald Trump. He sold his daughter out. That beautiful girl, that beautiful girl. He sold her out to the Jew. Like <laughs> It's my favorite video ever. I love that shit. <laughs> I'm here to spread ideas, talk in the hopes that somebody more capable. Uh, we'll, we'll come along and do that. Somebody like Donald Trump who does not give his daughter to a Jew.
3: So Donald Trump, but like
2: more racist. A lot more racist than Donald Trump. I don't think that you could feel about race the way I do and watch that Kushner bastard walk around with that beautiful girl, okay?
1: So why don't we leave behind Hanukkah and head to the pop culture corner for the worst Christmas movies of all time that we can think of yeah. right now. Um, I realized when I was looking up uh, worst Christmas movies that I definitely, I haven't seen some like just comically bad like direct-to-video Christmas movies, but I think the ones we came up with were pretty good. So why don't we start with yours, Sam?
2: So I I picked four. My, mine are all like three. Not quite straight to video. I mean, they're all like, I don't know. They were theatrical releases. And the first one made a lot of money. That's the Santa Claus with not Santa Claus, the guy, Santa Claus. The clause being uh, a legal stipulation that, Then this is the crux of this movie. The agreement is that if you kill Santa, you become Santa.
1: Shout out Tim Allen. Hashtag bring back last man standing. Oh.
2: <laughs> I want to bring back the, uh, Tim Allen that was, like, smuggling a shitload of blow around in, like, the 80s or whatever. And he ratted on all his friends. He, like, snitched on everyone. (laughs) Yep. Uh, that's the real, that's the real deal, fucking, uh, Tim Allen. But either way, um, Tim Allen, like, inadvertently causes Santa to fall off of his roof, and Santa dies, so Tim Allen is therefore, like, compelled by this, like, legalese to gain a shitload of weight and like his hair turns white and he grows a beard. Um, uh, and he has to like fly around the, the world ostensibly and deliver presents. Um, he's also a divorced man and his kid starts to like him for the pure reason that he is Santa Claus. Um, and he has to bring the san- the kid around to deliver presents and shit. Uh, eventually the crux of the movie is that like, like all Christmas movies, uh, the kid doesn't believe in Santa enough, so the kid has to, like, sit there and be like, I believe in Santa, like, which is easy for him, because Santa's literally his fucking dad, and he, either way, the, the movie has, like, a corny ending, and uh, is a piece of shit. It made, like, $200 million, though.
1: <laughs> and spawned a series of sequels.
2: Yep, yep. Um... I'm not gonna get good at be able to watch all of these most of these movies that I'm mentioning. I didn't make it all the way through. Uh, I watched all of the Santa Claus, but the next one is where we started to like really fall in the quality. This is Jack Frost, starring fucking Michael Keaton, um, and the premise of this movie is almost as creepy as the Santa Claus. The premise of this movie is that um, this fucking dad, who's like a blues musician in Colorado, um, dies in a car accident. And then through, like, the occult fucking eldritch powers of the forest and the wood, he is reincarnated as a fucking snowman. (laughs) And he has to, like, try to, like, reconnect with his family um, a year after his death when he's been, like, put into this frozen hell body. Dude,
1: imagine that is just a fate worse than death, being stuck as a snowman, like, fighting against the melt. I mean, I I don't know what the appeal of this movie is. I don't know how it's even
2: Christmas related. It's just like a horror. Uh, It would be cool if it was like more occult and dark, um, but it's ostensibly like a family comedy. It's like, (laughs) what if your dad was a snowman? (laughs) So uh, let's move on from that to Nutcracker in 3D, which is where things get way worse and way more CGI. Nutcracker in 3D is just a retelling of... You know, the Tchaikovsky ballet, uh, which has been done ad nauseum to this point. You know, great music and everything, but this has like CGI, like Nazis and rats running around. Um, they're like smashing toys, and the Nutcracker is also CGI. He's the size of like a boy. And he's fucking... Dis- he is the stuff of nightmares. And then he turns into a kid who's even more terrifying, like a real kid. And they have to, I don't know, fight the, like, Nazi rats to stop them from destroying all of the toys. Which I don't necessarily know if that's the plot of the original ballet. Either way, uh, another aspect of this movie that's weird is that Nathan Lane plays Albert Einstein, who's just, like, running around in this, like, massive house. Uh, I don't think he was, like, from a rich background, but... He's, like, apparently an aristocratic, like, German man. And he everyone has British accents except for Nathan Lane playing Albert Einstein. Just is really incoherent.
1: It sounds like a fucking terrible movie. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to go for the Nutcracker, you might as well see the show. Yeah. This last one is a real horror. <laughs> the last one is the
2: worst one by far of all these. I, I was shocked by how bad the Santa Claus was. In retrospect, oh, another thing I mentioned forgot to mention about the Santa Claus is that it has these reindeer um, that we have to link to an image of because they're terrifying. <laughs> they have like, human-ish faces. I can't tell if they're puppets or CGI or or what, but um, there are a lot of weird effects in the Santa Claus and nothing is as terrifying or uncanny valley as those horrifying reindeer. Um, but the Santa Claus was way worse than I could have expected. Jack Frost was so much worse than like category, like magnitudes worse than the santa claus because it was so just creepy and confusing and preposterous the nutcracker in 3d like just i think i was expecting it to be bad but it was so much worse another another example of just magnitudes worse than what i had previously watched and it all culminated in something that i thought i had hit bedrock but i dug a little deeper and hit like just the solid mantle of shittiness and this is polar express
3: Your attention, please. Are there any Polar Express passengers
2: in need of refreshment? I
4: thought so. <laughs>
3: Got
1: it. Gotcha. Dan, have you seen Polar Express? I've seen clips on YouTube. It's Tom Hanks voicing this character. Now, did they, you know, golem his face and stuff? Did they, like, put suction cups on his face to mimic his motions in the animation?
2: I believe they used whatever, like, whatever, like, mid-2000s uh, CGI technology they had, which basically makes the game look, or the movie, look like uh, a PlayStation 2 video game.
1: <laughs> yeah. Bro. Like the
2: graphics are on that level. Um,
1: it, it's not. I mean, I haven't seen this in Blu ray, but I can't imagine it looks very good. It falls deeply into the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a really memorable, like,
2: uh, <laughs> hot chocolate musical uh, number. Um, I'm trying to think of other moments. They also, when they go to the North Pole, Santa has the most disturbing, like, security apparatus that's like, broadcasting, um, these creepy black and white images, like closed, like CCTV images of every child's face. It's like a massive bank of just disturbing elves. The elves are like the elves in the Santa Claus are Jewish for some reason. I don't know what, where that stereotype comes from, but, um, the elves in Polar Express are Jewish and the elves in the Santa Claus are Jewish. They, for some fucking reason have this disgusting bank of, like, TVs, and they're all watching, like, this kid's every move. It's the most unnerving thing I can possibly think of. And once again, this is presented in, like, a children's movie in Uncanny Valley CGI. Uh And this is all be- based on a picture book that's, like, 20 pages long. Like, this is just... This is why our society will crumble.
1: <laughs> it's horrific uh i have no desire to watch that film this holiday season and honestly sam of all the ones you mentioned i think the santa claus seems the most palatable but even then i don't know if i could derive too much holiday cheer from that before we go into my three horrendous holiday picks sam do you have one or two favorite holiday films
3: my favorite,
2: you know, actually, I, I was gonna say we should go into this a little bit, like what Christmas movies we actually like. Um, it's cheesy, but I do like the Christmas story, a Christmas story, you know, the one with like in the annoying kid and the Bible, the uh, BB gun, you know. I've
1: just seen scenes from it when they play it on repeat. You've never all seen day. the whole movie, no, I didn't really like it. Um, I, my guilty pleasure Christmas movie is one uh, me and my sisters would watch all the time, even uh, through my teens, I would say, uh, every year during the holiday season. The Grinch with Jim Carrey.
2: Ew. With like the disgusting baby Grinch. Oh, shut up. It's a great
1: film. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I get down with Home Alone. It's a great holiday movie.
2: Yeah, Home Alone has stood up. Shout out to Donald Trump, who was in, like,
1: the Home Alone movies. I think the Chevy Chase Christmas vacation is uh, always a good laugh. Okay. You know what I liked also was, uh, did you see Seth Rogen's The Night the night Before? No, I didn't. It's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Anthony Mackie and, like, Michael Shannon and Nathan Fielder. It's a really good cast. That's cool. I am frequently discovering that, like,
2: the random Seth Rogen movies that I didn't watch are actually, like, have some funny moments, like, uh... Most notably, um what the end the the end this is the end. That's the movie, right? Oh Where I'm a like big fan of that movie. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> it's actually really funny. <laughs> I love how uh despicable all of the uh Hollywood characters are in the beginning. Um anyway, so there are a lot of Christmas movies we do like. Um I feel like some of the classics are starting to fade for me. Like it's a wonderful life is not like the best movie.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: I can't say I've seen it in the last couple of years, so I don't want to speak too ill of it. But, uh, you know, that's one that I could watch again. The ones I'm about to mention, I'd only watch, ironically. One of them I've never even seen, but I felt it had to be brought into this podcast. So the first terrible Christmas film I would like to discuss is silent night deadly night part two sam have you heard of this film no i haven't it is a christmas slasher film it's you know i think after its release they called it a black comedy but i'll tell you it is <laughs> totally intended to be a horror slasher film now it's a sequel to um 1984 movie called silent night deadly night Which they uh, made a sequel to called Saturday Night Deadly Night Part Two. Now, why did I bring up Part Two? Because Part Two, two thirds of it about, or maybe even more of it, I forgot what percentage, is just scenes from the first movie. (laughs) It features the classic scene where the guy goes garbage day. If you've ever seen a (laughs) compilation of like bad movie scenes, then he shoots a guy.
3: Day. Huh?
1: No. <laughs> Essentially, the the plot encompasses a young man who is exposed to a Santa Claus dressed man murdering his parents and ruining Christmas. So he gets older and gets very violent uh, due to this trauma, and. I mean, there's one scene where a woman gets mounted on a deer head hanging on a wall. <laughs> oh, and they're about to have sex in a classic like slasher movie fashion. This woman's about to have sex before Ricky murders her. Ricky's the main character. Uh, her, the guy about to have sex with her says, two balls, corner pocket." on top of a pool table. (laughs) That's horrible. And there's, like, electrocution, there's decapitation, like, he kills this nun that tortured him.
2: Is this, like, a classic, like, cult kind of, like, bad movie? You know, like, the Room or you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space that, like, people watch for fun because it's, like, bad?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so, especially since the internet meme of him yelling garbage day uh, became pretty popular in the (laughs) mid-2000s. I think that a lot of people like this movie. I certainly watched it a ton in high school, along with its four sequels. Fun fact, one of the sequels stars not Ron Howard, but his brother, Clint Howard.
2: (laughs) Man, those are the best movies, the ones that have like 19 sequels. Like, I think there's like eight evil bong movies. Um, there's a million d- Ginger Dead Man movies uh, I think there's an Evil Bong versus d- Ginger Dead Man Yeah,
1: there's a long line of sort of series In that ilk of horror Sort of campy bullshit yeah, like Leprechaun and shit um, Sometimes they're fun, <laughs> but uh, sometimes they're a little silly And speaking of silly, let's talk about this next film on my list An American Carol Sam, have you heard of this movie? No, I haven't heard of this one either Now, I don't have enough masochism in my soul to make myself watch this movie, but I'm going to read you a piece about it it from December twenty second, 2008, In Time. Preston Sturgis made a movie called Christmas in July and Rankin and Bear exploited their Noel properties with Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July but it took david zucker and raged over the american left's opposition to president bush's iraq excursion to hijack charles dickens's a christmas carol and set it in the us and on the 4th of july his scrooge is a michael moore clone played by the late chris farley's brother kevin who wants to abolish independence day he is visited by the remonstrating ghosts of jfk Patton, Washington, and, huh, Trace Adkins. Zucker, part of the team that created Airplane and the Naked Gun series, knows his comedy. He's tucked in a dozen or so good gags into his anti-liberal screed. Also, no question, the left could stand some puncturing of its pomposity, but the mean spirit of Zucker's satire hardly jives with the liberal spirits of the original tale. I say bah humbug to him and oh rapture to a real Dickens of a Christmas movie. The 1951 Alistair Sim Scrooge, AKA a Christmas Carol. See, I do like Christmas movies, the good ones. So oh this review kind of lost me at the end. Cause he's a bit of a, it was a bit of a screed about how, you know, maybe he did like some Christmas movies. If it pointed out the hypocrisy of the libs But this was by David Zucker, a 9-11 Republican who, previous to 9-11, was a Democrat, but was so angered by the libs (laughs) that he made this film, which literally starred, like, a who's who of Hollywood Republicans, such as Kelsey Grammer, John Voight, and James Woods. Oh, my God. And there's even one horrifying scene in which uh, the Michael Moore character, Michael Malone, is shown by Kelsey Grammer to have, if the Civil War didn't happen because he's anti-war, if the Civil War didn't happen, Michael Malone's family would own slaves. And not only that, this horrendous, like, horrific scene shows that his ancestors fathered children with slaves.
2: That's disgusting. Absolutely so the moral of horrific. the moral of this is that, like, um... If we don't fight wars, then uh, who's going to stop us from owning slaves?
1: Yeah, so not a traditional (laughs) Christmas movie, but I think a movie that... Holy shit. I think deserves to be put in the pantheon of horrendous Christmas-inspired movies. He's also
2: visited by the Angel of Death, who takes him to, like fucking los angeles in the future which has been like d- taken over and like run to the ground by like fucking sharia law and like radical islamists <laughs>
1: it's insane and this angel of death is played by country music superstar trace Atkins who sings like this patriotic like
3: i love you america song <laughs> this is the greatest country in the whole wide world the fastest horses, the prettiest girls. We got the army, the navy, air force, and marines. The finest fighting force the world's ever seen. It's
1: really, really absurd and uses a very bizarre reading of history to push this, like, shitting on the libs uh, perspective. And audiences did not like it. It has an 11% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics did not like it.
2: Why not? Sounds like a good family comedy. Bring the
1: whole family. Your whole white supremacist family could go see. And finally, my last film is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad's classic, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> now, Sam, you had to have seen this I've, I've seen this one, yeah. <laughs> Turbo Man, this huge toy. Oh uh, 1996 Turbo comedy Mom. film. Exactly. like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays this dad who's really committed to his career. And uh, he fights with his wife about getting this Turbo Man toy, fights about getting it with his kid, and it ends with some ridiculous shit where he's, like, on TV as Turbo Man. (laughs) You know, he's fighting to get the toys, like, the Beanie Baby craze, like, Cabbage Patch Kids, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, (laughs) according to Wikipedia, God, what a fucking stupid like like commercial! It's just completely like the commercialized uh, gluttony of Christmas with a little bit of Sinbad and shorts and thrown in you, there. You know,
2: I don't even remember properly. Does it like, um, does it have a moral at the end? Like all stupid Christmas movies, that's like you know, if you you need to believe in Christmas for it to happen, is that like how that is that the moral at the end, or is it just pure
1: capitalism? Wikipedia. I will read from Howard catches Jamie as he falls. Howard is the father and Jamie's his son. Howard is Arnold oh Schwarzenegger. Howard catches Jamie as he falls from a roof and reveals himself to be his son. Officer Hummel gives the doll to Jamie and then asks Howard as Turbo Man to join the police force saluting him. <laughs> Howard turns and reveals himself and Hummel is dumbfounded as Howard apologizes for all the trouble. Myron is arrested and Myron is uh, Sinbad while ranting about having to explain his failure to get the Turbo Man for his son, Jamie decides oh, to give the, the doll. Jamie decides to give the doll to him, telling Howard Ugh. he has the real Turbo Man at home. <laughs> the real Turbo Man is my daddy. I hate this shit so
3: much.
1: <laughs> All right, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs>
2: so there you have it folks seven of the worst fucking christmas movies ever made um by far without a doubt end of story it's story time now
1: so i propose this quick story time because hey i thought it's a fun story sam have you ever been to medieval times
2: (laughs) no um i know that you like watch people joust and you eat like you know, like a turkey leg or some shit, um, and you pretend you're in Camelot. Am I accurate?
1: You are correct. Now, there are no napkins, there are no forks. It is a (laughs) depraved uh, arena where live animals are ridden by pot-bellied men in armor and chain mail. And they joust each other, and there's this epic romance story. And, of course, the woman is only played uh, up as, like, you know, something for men to, you know, fight each other over.
2: (laughs) Uh, Dan, where geographically is the fucking medieval times you went to?
1: Well, it was on a field trip uh, to Washington, D.C. with the orchestra in high school. It was my sophomore year. And I was a bit rambunctious, along with uh, many of my friends who were in the orchestra. I played trombone, if anyone's interested. I sold that instrument and do not play it anymore. But... I also played trombone as a kid. So, yes, we could start a a duo. A bone duo. And at the end of the trip, we had a huge medieval times uh event where they've made us go to medieval times now i was down for medieval times but we were gonna you know we were gonna live it up a bit we were gonna go a little wild so that's what we did i scored i was shouting at the top of my lungs in the front row i was like (laughs) i wasn't even interested in eating i just wanted to cause chaos because i thought that's what you did like i I tried to act like you know, wasn't that what the the, the groundling... Well, wasn't that what they called the groundlings in Shakespeare? Like, the people who just, like, stood uh, right at the stage and, like, threw shit at them? Like, the uh, common people? Sure, I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to be really rambunctious because I wanted to have the full medieval experience. Theater in the round. So... I was tearing up the chicken, trying to, like, feed it to the horses that were coming by as they were waiting. I was, you know, we were throwing stuff. We were being really uh, disruptive to the performance. And at one point, one of the performers even came up to us and said, you were, you have to stop it. This is ridiculous. And um, he rode away. And then I kept saying and three of my friends kept saying, we're part of the show. <laughs> And then at one point uh, in our crazed uh, depravity of making probably a little too much noise and, uh, you know, not taking the meal in which they did not provide fork, knife, or napkin, uh, the story was lackluster to say the least. I think that could have been punched up by, uh, you know, a nice uh, <laughs> George R. R. Martin type uh, a little more sex and violence, I think, would have helped it along. Um, but it culminated in the spotlight going on the, like, brave knight, and the horse just blasts out like a torrent of diarrhea.
3: <laughs> Ew. It
1: just shit everywhere.
3: Oh. It shit
1: so much as the spotlight went on it. It could not have been scripted better. We lost it. It was so fucking funny. And then all of a sudden... Like, as I, uh, in my excitement, was being very loud at this, I was told, Daniel, you have to go sit next to the band director. You're you're done. You're done. So I was very upset, because, uh, needless to say, I didn't want to be a- associated as the ringleader. <laughs> and that's what happened. I had to sit next to the band director, and me and three others had to clean the bus and sit in the front. And you know what? We watched Monsters, Inc. It was fine! (laughs) The whole thing was stupid! (laughs) We were there to fuck around! We were there to blow off steam! That's the point of Medieval Times! Fuck these self-important pricks who went to, like, theater graduate school who think that their fucking act is important. Fuck you! People are there to have fun and... Throw shit at their friends. They're not there to fucking like, like you know. If they maybe if they provided napkins, oh it would be a little more civilized of an environment. <laughs> but if you're bringing like a field trip of like high school like hogs like us, like we're gonna be like loud and rude. Oh so you know what? Fuck medieval times. <laughs>
2: All right, you heard it here, folks. Fuck Medieval Times and uh, be as rambunctious as possible in protest. Did did you go to the Medieval Times that's, like, near Baltimore? I have no idea. It's, like, somewhere in Maryland. I I, I tried to find the nearest one around here. Oh, man.
1: My face is probably on the wall. Like, do not admit.
2: (laughs) Dan, do you have any regrets about, like you know, disrespecting uh, the talented people who bring the Medieval
1: Times show to you with such, you know, devotion? Looking back as an adult, I certainly do have more respect for performers. Um However, Medieval Times, I thought that was kind of part of the deal and no one really expressed that, like, you're supposed to sit there quietly and admire the performance. Like, it's a fucking, like... <laughs> fiddler on the roof like i thought the point was you act like a bunch of you know unshowered like peasants
2: yeah that's like the atavistic joy of the people who get down with like this
1: renaissance shit what a show sam we discussed some terrible cartoons we talked about the government shutdown trump is going insane i mean this is we talked about some classic holiday films what a classic oeuvre we provided today of of films for people to watch
2: political religion political religious political religious
1: (laughs) anyway uh thanks for listening we'll be back next week (laughs) thanks guys
3: Oh, oh we got it The king of the Aztecs would drink 50 quarts of hot chocolate every day. It was thick as mud and red because he put chili pepper in it instead of sugar. Get it?